Hello and welcome to Become a Competent Biblical Counselor. My name is Dr. Dave Jones, and today's episode is entitled Depression and the Bible. And I want to start with Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This topic is not only huge, it is something that you as a counselor will experience quite frequently. You may have gone through it yourself personally. You may have some people in in your family who are going through this thing called depression and friends and whatever, but it is something that is permeating lives all over the world and something that Christians are struggling with as well. So let's get into the Word and find out just what does the Bible say is the cause of depression and also what is the solution for depression. And a lot of the confusion starts when people start coming to you and they say that they are on antidepressants. They have been for many, many years. And the reasons might be, well, there's some serotonin levels, there's some chemical imbalances uh, that are causing the depression and so on and so forth. Those are issues that you do not need to address because they are medical issues and we're not to the point of being medical authorities, but we want to give an alternative with respect to what does the Bible have to say about depression. So let's get started by pointing out that homemakers, preachers, and those who must set and keep their own schedules are particularly vulnerable to depression. Someone whose daily work is routine and whose output is structured for him so that by 12 noon he must produce X amount of work and by 5 p.m. another X amount. These kind of people rarely suffer from depression. That's because the work does not depend upon self-control and self-discipline. Others discipline and control the worker and his output. Consequently, he rarely gets behind in his work. On the other hand, for the person who must learn to control and to discipline himself in a day in which there is little emphasis upon discipline, often all that it takes for him to begin the descent into despair and depression is to experience a setback that tempts him to focus upon it, whatever the setback is, and to forget his obligations. His schedule is broken. He gets behind in his chores, which then mount up and get bigger and bigger, He is by then already heading straight down the road that leads to depression. Stirred together into one pot a setback. It could be a sickness or some disappointment or guilt over an unconfessed sin, etc. Failure to handle the setback God's way, a tendency to follow feelings rather than to pursue obligations, and the willingness to participate in pity parties or to soliloquize in, in blue funks, And you have all of the essential ingredients for that foul-tasting thick stew called depression. God has so constructed us that when we fail to handle responsibilities properly, our consciences trigger bad feelings. These, if not heated early, ultimately will lead to depression. David looked at depression as a merciful warning sign from God intended to goad him to repentance and a change of attitude or behavior. In Psalm 32, 4, it says, When he had sinned, he said, quote, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. The guilt that underlies depression comes from the failure to handle the problem or setback God's way. 
Therefore, any failure to heed this warning or any attempt to silence it by shock treatments, the use of antidepressants, homebrew, etc., constitutes an additional failure that only compounds the guilt and increases the intensity of the bad feelings that stem from it. As a result, depression grows and grows in a cyclical manner. One good place to begin when considering God's solution to the fundamental failure that underlies depression is to take seriously the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.8. Here he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. There were many times when Paul found opposition and difficulties hard to take. There were also circumstances in which for a time he did not know what to do next. He was afflicted and he became perplexed, but he did not become depressed. In these trying times, God at length enabled him to handle every difficulty without despair. He had setbacks, but he did not allow these to keep him from continuing in the clear course of action that was at hand. He did not despair. He did not give up the task that he knew that God wanted him to continue. He was down, but not out. The depressed person that you're going to be able to talk with, possibly, is one who, when he gets down, also gives out. Now, it is vital to understand the important difference between being perplexed, disappointed, blue, physically weak, or even feeling low because of guilt and being depressed. All of us, with Paul, get down. We are all blue from time to time. We all become discouraged, but that is not depression. Depression comes when we fail to handle the blues, the disappointment, the perplexity, the guilt, or the physical affliction God's way. It comes whenever we allow the bad feelings that are associated with these problems to hinder us from carrying out our duties. When we do follow our feelings instead of following our obligations to God and to our neighbors, we are guilty, and this makes us feel even worse. When the feelings of guilt are added to the bad feelings that already plague us, that makes us feel far worse and therefore less like doing our work. If then we follow those increased feelings of self-dissatisfaction, and it is easier all of the time to do so, we trigger more ad infinitum. So make it clear to your counselee, so long as they continue to follow their feelings, when they tell you that you can't do what you know that you ought to do, you don't. And as a consequence, you drop deeper and deeper into the pit of depression, doing less and less until at last you're doing nothing but lying around on the couch, popping chocolates and watching TV. So it's important to see clearly the dynamics that I'm trying to get across in helping with uh, people that are struggling with depression, the dynamics that are at work so that the solution can be geared in accurately. I have noted that depression comes from handling a situation in which you feel bad wrongly. The bad feeling originally may come from your own sin or from the fact that after having had flu for four days, you must go back to work that is piled up in your absence and that you do not feel like doing both because it's greater than usual and you are weaker than usual. You may have to let the ironing go. Oh, I hate those clothes or the test papers have been stacking up on your desk. I'll never be able to get those papers graded until I feel more like doing so. Whatever the specifics of the problem may be, one thing is paramount. Instead of doing what you know you ought to do when you give in to your feelings, hoping that later 
you'll feel more like doing the dreaded duty, you have already taken several strides down the dismal path of depression. The key to warding off depression, you must get this across to your counselees, is this. Do not follow your feelings when you know that you have a responsibility to discharge. Instead, against your feelings, you must do as you should. And when you do, even if at first you do so mechanically simply because you want to please God and you know that He wants you to do this in time, your feelings will change. God will give you a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment and at length enthusiasm for what you have dreaded previously. You must not wait until you feel like it or you may never feel like doing that task. Nor must you try to change your feelings directly. You cannot do that. Do what you know God wants you to do, whether you feel like it or not. And a change in feelings will take place as a byproduct in time. That is the secret of turning back the tide of depression. Once it begins to overwhelm you, there is no other way. So the plan of action then, very simply put, is this. Number one, tell your counselee, help your counselee, to make a full list of all of the things that they know that they have neglected doing because they didn't feel like doing them. Number two, get to work having them complete the tasks, and in order to please God and the others who are depending upon them, their spouse, their family, the boss, the roommate, etc. Number three, keep it at it no longer how you feel. And as you begin to see the task accomplished, you will begin to sense a change in feeling. The tide will have been turned. Homemaker, go ahead, clean that house, start making those meals again, get up and see your husband off to work. Salesman, quit your stalling. Get out that list of prospects, pick up the phone, and begin to make those appointments for an interview. Then get out on the road and follow them up till all have been held. Whatever it is that you ought to do, do it. You know, get to it. Don't wait, don't wait until you feel more like it. Don't put it off till a more convenient time. Whatever you can do right now, do. Don't wait another hour. And talking to your counselors this way is an example of direct confrontation that the Bible allows us to engage. Tell people exactly what they should do. These are not suggestions. If they want to get out of feeling depressed, this is what they must do. They must assume the responsibilities that God has given them. I recently completed a research project that was entitled Lost Connections. Uh, the research was done by an author by the name of Johan Hari, and in his research, he labeled it Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and the Unexpected Solutions. And I want to read you some comments in his closing analysis and summary that pertains to this topic. He says, you are not suffering from a chemical imbalance in your brain. You are suffering from a social and spiritual imbalance in how we live. Much more than you've been told up to now, it's not serotonin, it's society. It's not your brain, it's your pain. Your biology can make your distress worse for sure, but it's not the cause, it's not the driver, it's not the place to look for the main explanation or the main solution. Because you have been given the wrong explanation for why your depression and anxiety are happening, you are seeking the wrong solution. 
Because you are being told depression and anxiety are misfirings of your brain chemicals, you will stop looking for answers in your life and your psyche and your environment and how you might change them. You will become sealed off in a serotonin story. You will try to get rid of the depressed feelings in your head, but that won't work unless you get rid of the causes of the depressed feelings in your life. No, I would say to my younger self, your distress is not a malfunction. It is a signal, a necessary signal. I know this is going to be hard to hear, I tell your counselee, because I know how deep your suffering cuts, but this pain isn't your enemy. However much it hurts, it's your ally leading you away from a wasted life and pointing you the way toward a more fulfilling one. Then I would tell him, you are at a fork in the road now. You can try to muffle the signal. That will lead to many wasted years when the pain will persist. Or you can listen to the signal and let it guide you away from the things that are hurting and draining you and toward the things that will meet your true needs. Depression and anxiety might, in one way, be the sanest reaction you have. It's a signal saying you shouldn't have to live this way. And if you aren't helped to find a better path, you will be missing out on so much that is best about being human. You need your nausea. You need your pain. It is a message, and we must listen to the message. All these depressed and anxious people all over the world, they are giving us a message. They are telling us something has gone wrong with the way we live. We need to stop trying to muffle or silence or pathologize that pain. Instead, we need to listen to it and honor it. It is only when we listen to our pain that we can follow it back to its source. And only there, when we can see its true causes, can we begin to overcome it. I hope this has been helpful. This is something that you certainly can look at depression from a different point of view, especially from the point of view of what God has to say about what you're doing and what you're not doing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.